It's often a bit mystifying how brands magically go viral overnight. Sometimes they make it big, and other times they crash and burn. Is the road to brand fame and a bump to the bottom line worth the risk? I'm Alexis. And I'm Melissa. And we're just a little obsessed with these marketing moments. So join us as we break down the craziest brand stunts, from how the idea sparked to how the heck they pulled it off. Or didn't, and of course, will it stick? <laughs> well, hi, Alexis. Hi. What's going on? Dude, I am jazzed up today. Are you? Why? Yeah. I mean, it's been a freaking awesome week. We've done some big campaign brainstorming. I'm obsessed with Ohm. This workout is insane. I Yesterday, know. I did 51 on my glutes, and Wes and I were competing, and my abs are sore. I'm like pumped. Andrew did two days in a row. He went today. I know. Just I saw he pulled, that. We have to tell you guys about. We won't tell you right now, but in the future, we'll share more details on our new client. Well, newish Ohm Fitness. It's like gonna freaking be the next Orange Theory. Because oh, bigger than no, Orange I know, Theory. but like Orange Theory just like blew up, and it is way freaking cooler. So we will share more about that soon because we're doing all of the national stuff for them. So and this workout is it's like next no other. level. And you know what's crazy? We were talking about it's like there's something we're trying to do this research because of like what it does with your muscles. There's like an addiction component, like because it releases so much endorphins and dopamine. Like really? you leave so happy and excited. And you like want – like it leaves you wanting more. Because it's not that hard. That's why. You don't no. feel like you're working out that hard, but you're getting like maximum result, which to me it's like that was so easy. Like I want to do it again. You know? Yeah. I don't know. It's but it's really crazy. Cool. Like the levels, it shows. Like if you're rele- you're working that much, it releases X more. So crazy. Maybe everyone will stop doing drugs and just do home <laughs> fitness. There we go. There that we can go. be a goal. Well, I'm not talking about fitness today. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. But I do want to take you just back for a minute. So close your eyes. Okay. Put yourself back into the late 90s and early 2000s. Can you like remember that time in your life? Yeah. I was driving a Honda Civic. I had a muffler tip. I had a black light in my Civic. Two (laughs) tens. It was awesome. Okay. Well, that's a picture. Around that time, a little movie came out called Legally Blonde. Do you remember that movie? I remember it. Yep. And we saw that blonde bombshell Elle Woods, Reese Witherspoon, who is so flippin' cute, by the way. So cute. I don't know if you follow her on Instagram, but- I do. I, like, love when celebrities are so real on Instagram. It's just, like, so- Thank God we have social media now, and we can, like, not have to look at People Magazine and see these photos that are, like, not real of- Like, I feel like celebrities are real people now. It's crazy. Yeah. No, I love it. And her kids are so damn cute. Yeah. Her daughter's like the mini-me of her. I know. I love it. It's adorable. But anyways, in that movie, Elle Woods accessorized her string bikini with what fashion accessory? And it was big in the 90s and early 2000s. I feel like it was like a necklace or something. I don't remember. Let me give you a hint. It comes in a little blue box. Ooh. Something blue box is Tiffany's. Yes. Tiffany and Co.'s silver charm bracelet. I mean, who didn't have one of those oh in the gosh. 90s and 2000s? Especially if you were like in high school or college, right? I kind of remember I got mine, I don't know if it was for graduation or I got it for my like a birthday. Well, I got one. My dad gave me one for college graduation. I actually never had one in high school, but 
everyone had it. It was like that chain link, either a choker necklace or a bracelet with like the heart, you know, locket kind of thing on it. It was the must-have fashion accessory. I know. I always wanted the necklace, but yes. it was like triple the price of the bracelet, so I only got the bracelet. Yes. And like they purposely created this affordable line of like around $100 for the bracelet or so and a little more for the necklace just so they could capture that audience, you know, teenagers and young adults. Like they wanted that market share initially. As soon as sales skyrocketed, Tiffany and co-execs realized they might have made a mistake. Why? Do you know why? Well, sales were going crazy, but suddenly their brand image they were concerned about. because Like it's too young? Yes. Now it was all these teeny boppers and the jewelry was becoming like a fad. And they were concerned, like, what would our serious customers think? The ones who are in there buying rings and diamonds and spending 20, 30, 40, 50 grand and above. Oh, like, I think that's crazy. I feel like, you know, moms go in to buy things at Tiffany's and the daughter feels, like, special that she can have one of those. You yeah. Know? Like, I mean, it should be like a co-shopping experience versus tarnishing your brand. But well, I see how it works. Yeah. I think they were concerned it would be a forever damage the brand because they didn't expect it to, like – go that crazy when they created that price point. Yeah, because I bet everyone at that point when, like, you said Tiffany's, that's all they could that's think about. That's all you can think about. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And really, Tiffany & Co. has been battling, like, how it stays relevant yet luxury-focused for the better part of two decades. I mean, the brand has been around for 184 years. What? I know. <laughs> like, sometimes I don't know why I'm so shocked that all these brands we cover are so old, but it still blows my mind. Like, they founded the brand – in 1837. 1837 and yeah. it's still around. It's still around. It's crazy. It's totally crazy. But really, like, how can it stay fresh and cool and, you know, exclusive at the same time? Like, that's a challenge, right? Yeah. And Alexis, I think you'll be a bit surprised with the direction they are taking the brand today. Have you been following them at all on social? No. Okay. Well, we're going to dive into some pretty badass stunts, some surprising collaborations, some seemingly offensive ad campaigns, and possibly a huge change to the brand's iconic color. What? Yes. So are you ready to deep dive into- The Tiffany blue, a change to the mm -hmm. color? That's impossible. Well- Let's go into it. So as I said, Tiffany & Co. started in 1837, but it actually didn't start as a jewelry store. Oh, really? Yeah. Isn't that weird? It started as a stationery and fine goods store. Oh, what are fine goods? I imagine like silverware, mm. china, a lamp. I have no idea. I know. It was crazy back then. Like silverware. I mean, I don't know if people still do that. Like I remember when I was getting married, they're like, what China are you going to get? I'm like, who the fuck gets China? I'm not going to get fucking China. Like I'll break it in two seconds, first of all. But like, could I just like walk in? Let me get my fine China. Isn't it like, so weird so how that bizarre. has totally gone away? Like people don't get, they don't like register for fine China anymore. Maybe like fancier people than us do. I mean, I feel like we're kind of fancy, <laughs> but yeah, you're right. We're, we're not like hosting exclusive dinner parties in our New York City penthouse for the movers and shakers. And no. I don't bring my silver like water pitcher out or something. I mean, yeah, but it's so weird. I wonder if people do. I don't, I don't think they do. But it is weird. I know. Whatever. Anyways, it was founded by two men, Charles Lewis Tiffany and John B. Young. Okay. And it was founded in Brooklyn, Connecticut. 
And actually, Tiffany's father helped the two men start out. He financed the first store for $1,000 with profits he had earned from a cotton mill. Interesting. Mm -hmm. And they opened their first store at 259 Broadway in Lower Manhattan. And the first store was called Tiffany and Young. And it wasn't until the 1840s that they actually began to sell costume jewelry. Okay. And it was costume jewelry at first. Um, It was also around this time that a third partner joined, and his name was J.L. Ellis, and he was Charles Tiffany's cousin. And he brought a lot of cash into the business. So I'm sure they welcomed him with open arms. They're like, come on in, (laughs) Come on in, bud. Um, The name at that time was changed to Tiffany Young and Ellis. Sounds kind of like a freaking law firm, right? Law firm. I know. It's so why We had that? a law firm client and we couldn't. There were so many names. We just called them blank and friends. <laughs> because like, we're like, we can't even say every – it was six names. I know. And they wanted all of them in the freaking, freaking logo. Like oh I gosh. sometimes – we're done with law firms. By no the way, if you're firms. a law firm and you're listening, we're sorry, but you're banned from working with us. We've had the worst experiences working with law firms. The worst. Change our mind. No, No, actually don't don't, change your mind. Don't do that. Anyways, these guys were not a law firm. They were Tiffany's. They worked really hard at elevating the brand's product. You know, they would travel annually to Europe on buying trips, which, by the way, how do we put that into our business? Like, Europe buying trips. Can we, like, go buy marketing plans in Europe or, like, strategies or – I don't know. We'll figure something out. Something, but that's for our next business. Yes, for sure. They also were really like one of the first retailers at the time to sell items for fixed prices. So no bargaining. That was pretty much standard practice prior. Like you could walk into a store and be like, yeah, I like that watch, but I'm going to offer you $10. I wish we could still do that. I'm a damn good bargainer. Like when I go to Mexico, I get all my shit cheap. I'm like, nope. I'm ready to walk away. You got to be ready to walk away. And then they're like, okay, okay, cinco dollars. Like, they're they're like, good. <laughs> You're so funny. <laughs> well. We'd have a lot of shit if we could bargain now. Trust me. Oh, I know. We are pretty good bargainers, yes. Um, and they also did cash only, no credit. And in 1847, the shop moved to like an even more prime location at 271 Broadway. And that happened to be across from the Irving House Hotel which was like the spot to be because all of the wealthy out-of-town visitors would stay there. Okay. So they would then go and shop across the street. And one of those world-famous shoppers was a woman named Jenny Lind. You may not know of her, but I do because I've been researching P.T. Barnum because I want to do a whole episode on him. Okay. And he famously brought her over. She was a Swedish opera singer and she was world-renowned at the time. And he brought her to the U.S. and, like, made her insanely famous. Can I just ask you, like, before social media, before the internet, how are you world-renowned? Like, how do people know you around the world? The newspapers. There were still newspapers. And they send newspapers from— No, they would just all—yeah, like, they would just—the news would travel. And, like, so basically, you know, so when P.T. Barnum brought her over here— no one really in the U.S. knew about her. So he had a big job to spread the word in the U.S., but she was so insanely famous in Europe that, like, he knew if he could bring her here, he could make himself and her so rich. Okay. So, but yeah, I mean, no social media in 1837. Correct. Good. And no internet. <laughs> no internet. Interweb. No interwebs, no. So you could probably compare her to, like, Beyonce or Madonna right now. Oh, my Like, God. that's how big okay. she was. And Jenny Lind was staying at the Irving House Hotel, and one day she just popped in the Tiffany's and she ordered something called a tankard. What's a tankard? <laughs> it is a metal— Choker? No. 
a metal beer mug with a lid, like kind of like a stein. Okay. Like a German stein, I think. And she ordered it as a gift for the captain of the ship that had brought her to New York. That's generous. Very generous. Yeah. And Charles Tiffany must have been the one to greet her when she walked in. And he was like, I have to amaze her. So he presented her with this cup, like when it was ready. And she was blown away. It like had mermaids on it and a rainbow. And it was just like exquisite. She loved it so much that she ordered a ton of copies of the same mug. And this brought the store like major notoriety. Okay. Right away. A mermaid mug. A mermaid mug. Then in 1848, one of the partners, his name, John Young, he sailed to France for a buying trip by himself. And it was really good timing because he landed in France at the same time as the fall of Louis Philippe. And that was France's last king who took power in 1830, but then was like thrown out as king because there was an uprising. Okay. okay. And Louis Philip and all the members of his team of peeps, they, they had to sell everything because they had nothing. They were like banned. So they took whatever they could get and they were selling like serious jewelry, like emeralds, diamonds, rubies, pearls, like, and actually most of the loose stones they were selling were from the French crown. Wow. Isn't that crazy? And- Remember, we didn't have the internet or cell phones at this time. So John Young is over there in France, and he's like, he didn't expect to have, see all that, like, to run into this kind of opportunity. Yeah. And he was like, shit, I wonder if it's okay if I buy this stuff. But he couldn't get a hold of Charles Tiffany. Like, he was on the other side of the world. <laughs> he was like, yeah, I'll send you a telegram over there. Yeah. So he bought it. He okay. took a risk and bought it. For and how much? You know, I don't have a number. But he probably spent a shitload of money. He probably spent so much money. And he was like, I'll just buy it. I'll ask for forgiveness later. And thank God he did because that was the start of something huge. I mean, when he got back, Charles Tiffany took those jewels and they began designing their own actual jewelry, like not costume jewelry. They used those stones and they just made beautiful items. And they quickly discontinued costume jewelry because like they had the real thing now. Yeah. You know? Wow. So – Eventually, oh, yeah, from the crown. I know. Eventually, Charles Tiffany bought out all the partners, and it was just him, and he rebranded the enterprise to Tiffany & Co. in 1853. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So now the brand has a great name, a solid location. It's producing, like, elite, one-of-a-kind jewelry that can only be afforded by, like, the uber-wealthy. And, you know, it, the brand is really ready to rise to world prominence. So how did they do that? How did they become so famous? No idea. Some celebrity. I mean, Alexis, what does it always come down to? The celebrities, the influencers. Marketing. Marketing. Just all things marketing. Oh, okay. All things okay. marketing. Did you forget that that's what this podcast is about? <laughs> <laughs> okay. Marketing. So let's start with what might be the most iconic part about Tiffany's marketing strategy. And you said it early. It's that, that blue. That blue. It's it's house color Tiffany blue. I mean, first of all, the fact that this brand has an actual Pantone color is so crazy. Do you say house color? It, that's what they they call them, like a house color. Oh, I was like, if someone like you know how house, the Gucci is like the house of Gucci. It's like oh yeah, that it's like Tiffany's house color. Oh, I would. I thought you were thinking you were going to paint your house. I color. would totally paint my house Tiffany blue. Okay. <laughs> Not. I think my old neighbor on Earl used to have Tiffany Blue House. Mm-hmm. It's pretty scary. Yeah, it doesn't. Probably not going to work. So the Pantone color is 187C, and it is named Tiffany Blue. And it is so crazy how you can look at that color 
And immediately, no, it's Tiffany. Yeah, it's non-turquoise. It's Tiffany. Yeah. Yeah, it's crazy. There's no other brand. Like, I did research, and there are a couple other brands that, like, own a color, but no one is that prominent. Like, for example... Mattel Barbie pink. That's okay. a, that's a color, but like I wouldn't see that. I actually would see this pink and be like, "That's the color pink we use for Willet Stick podcast." Yeah, I was gonna say I wouldn't. It's not that iconic, no. like Barbie, because Barbie has so many different shades of pink. She has like the bubblegum pink. Yes. And so I would never associate no. that. There's Cadbury purple. Like I never would associate that with Cadbury. I hate purple. Okay, I love purple, but still, T-Mobile magenta. Like no, sorry, T-Mobile. Good try. Um, UPS brown. I get that, but like I still would never look at brown and be like. UPS brown. I know. Right? What? So like I, no one has that same sticking power as yeah. Tiffany does. And do you know how they came to own that perfect shade of blue? How? It actually was like the first marketing move the company made. And it was all the way back in 1845. Tiffany began publishing the Blue Book. And it was a catalog of the company's most ornate gems and silver. And actually the Blue Book was the first catalog ever to be distributed across the country. Wow. Ever. Like it started the trend. And it is the, the origin of Tiffany's like signature blue branding because the cover was Tiffany blue. That's crazy. I know. And it was a huge deal at the time. I mean, because of this, soon Charles Tiffany earned the nickname the King of Diamonds. I mean, he like had the most luxury store. He was producing a catalog that was like a book that had this beautiful color. I mean, he was like, literally the guy to talk to about all things diamonds. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. Also the cover, like I said, is that shade of Tiffany blue, but also the blue book is still published today. Did you know that? No. I had no idea. Like it's been published for that long. Oh my gosh. I know. I love, I feel like jewelry catalogs are so incredible. Yeah. I get the Hyde Park one and it's (sighs) like, I just want to look at it, but so you can't afford anything in there. No, it's crazy. I also don't want to. I no, don't, I don't want to spend thousand dollars on a bracelet. No, no, I, that's like a really fancy vacation. Yeah. Um, along with owning the brand color, the next step Charles Tiffany took, like early on, to make Tiffany and Co. uber prestigious, was to pull a PR stunt. Oh, wonderful. I mean, of course. What else would he do? Have you ever heard of the Tiffany Diamond? I have. Yes, it is. I mean, amazing. amazing. Aren't there like only three people who have worn it? Yes. We'll talk about that. So, in, and one of them's you? No. Oh scared. my God. I would die. Actually, I really wouldn't care to wear it. It's I feel like I'd be scared shitless. Like, yeah. What if you, like, someone would come try to cut off your head? Cut oh, off your head. Sure. I mean, it's worth so much money, but we'll talk about it. In 1879, Charles Tiffany made a move that seriously turned heads and got all attention on his company. He purchased what we now know as the Tiffany Diamond. It was a yellow diamond that was found in a Kimberly diamond mine in South Africa in 1877. It was 287.42 carats. Oh my God. That's like as big as your head. That it might is my yeah. <laughs> yes. Like, yes. I don't know. I've never measured my head in carats, carats, but I imagine it's about 287 carats. Yeah. And Eventually, though, it wasn't like a pretty shape. Yeah. So he found this guy who was like an expert at shaping diamonds, and they cut it down to like a more beautiful shape. And when it was all said and done, it was 128.54 carats. Okay? Okay. Can you guess how much he paid for that diamond at that time in 1879? A million dollars. $18,000. Oh, my God. I mean, of course, I'm sure it was – I mean, that was worth a lot more. 
Yeah. Then, like it, today, that purchasing power is probably huge. But do you know what it's roughly worth today? Oh my God, no. $10 million. $30 million. Oh my God. I mean, a $30 million <laughs> diamond? That's like pretty good ROI. Wow. Like that yeah. purchase. And besides the financial gain, like this was so huge for the brand to have the world's largest yellow diamond in its possession. I mean, what was the security like there? <sighs> Jeez. I don't even know what it was like back then. But essentially, this was one giant PR sent for the brand and a super smart one that paid off big time. Now, can you guess what the next move might have been for the King of Diamonds? No. I'm telling you. I keep saying the influencer. Well, that plays in later. His next move was to invent the first iteration of the engagement ring as we know it today. Oh, wow. He invented it. Like, I don't understand. Like, he invented getting engaged? No. Getting engaged was like a thing. And I think it was already with a ring maybe sometimes or with other things. Like, remember when they used to pay like dowries? Oh, yeah. Like, I'll trade you one cow. What do you think you'd be worth? (laughs) A cow and like four pigs? Oh, way more than that. Jeez. Anyways, no. He did not invent the act of proposing. He invented, you know, basically how an engagement ring looks today. Like that setting is, it's really called the Tiffany setting. It's what made engagement rings like shape popular today. Like the it's raised like, up. Yeah, where it features a solitaire diamond held above the band by six platinum prongs. And the prongs were meant to lift the diamond off the band and into the light, producing maximum sparkle, which... What girl doesn't love a little sparkle in her life? Yes. And prior to this, like most diamond rings were set much lower on the finger. Where's your diamond ring? You know, literally speaking of jewelry, I never wear my ring. I forget it almost every day. I mean, I like can't get it off my finger. Well, that's a personal problem. (laughs) I just, I forget to put it on. I love it, but I just, jewelry is not important to me. It's weird. But anyways, it was, he was the first one to say like, we shouldn't put the diamond in the ring. Let's lift it off so it catches the light and it's impressive and everyone can see how big the ring is that, that your man bought for you. Wow. Okay. So that's, he started the competition. He did. And really, he set the standard for engagement rings as we know them today, which I had no idea. That's crazy. I know. And finally, way back in the early 1900s, the brand did something else that is a super common tactic today to cement itself as the exclusive brand. Okay. You've already said it a million times. Influencer. Yes. They utilized powerful people and influencers to cultivate demand. They were smart So in the early 1900s, Tiffany was like already all the rage and suddenly important members of society, like AKA influencers as we know them today, they became public patrons of the brand. So Franklin Roosevelt, I don't know, have you heard of him? Oh, no. (laughs) He purchased a Tiffany engagement ring for Eleanor Roosevelt in 1904. Wow. Um, Vanderbilt's, the Astors, the Whitney's, I mean, First Lady Jackie Kennedy, President John F. Kennedy bought her this, like, really famous brooch that she wore oh, just after, normal folk. Yeah, the birth of her son. I mean, yeah. literally a- anyone who was anyone, everyone who was anyone, was wearing Tiffany. Like, you couldn't open a fashion magazine at that time, like, in the m- mid-1900s, early 1900s, and not see Tiffany jewelry. You know what I think is so cool about Tiffany? And I, I feel like in every store I've seen, like, their entrance, yeah. even, like— this must have been mirrored after, like, whatever buildings they owned back then. But, like, it's so ornate and, like, you feel like you're walking 
into this like insane building. Like they've even recreated it at Fashion Square. Like it's not like a traditional store. Yeah. Like the whole door and like the, it's so heavy. It's like you're walking into a vault. Totally. It's crazy. I agree. It's beautiful. It's an experience. It's an experience. In itself. Um, but yeah, lots of celebs. And then in 1961, the brand exploded even bigger into pop culture. Do you know why? Uh, yes. A movie. Yes. Breakfast at Tiffany's. Yes. So that, the release of that cult classic film, Breakfast at Tiffany's, starring Audrey Hepburn. I mean, that movie did huge things for the brand. Well beyond just the name recognition and exposure. But you know what I did that was crazy that still, like, basically affects how we buy today or how we look at Tiffany's today? It made... Tiffany & Co., this brand that was suddenly idolized for the middle class. Oh, like, interesting. Like, before then… It was all for the upper class. Yeah, like, yeah, I don't even know rich. if, like, the middle class would even ever care to think, like, they would want that or they could. Like, it wasn't a thing. But for some reason, this movie made it feel like, you know, this was a luxury brand afforded by the wealthy and celebs, but it made it appealing and, like, aspirational for the middle class. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So this movie really was the reason that, and like really that perception continues, like baby boomers, Gen Xers, even some of us like geriatric millennials, you know, we couldn't maybe afford the higher price jewelry, but we still wanted to be associated with the brand. So we bought the lower price trinkets. Like remember the keychains like you would buy and like the- But I even still think like Tiffany, it's it's like- you can afford something at Tiffany. It's not like you're not going to spend – I mean, they definitely have higher price things, but yeah. you're not going to spend 50 grand on something. You could. You probably could, but not you, the average – like you can go in and get something affordable. Yeah. I think it depends on what you're looking for because they have crazy expensive rings, like insanely expensive rings. But, you know, yes, you if you look on their website right now, they have a whole collection <laughs> of everyday items. Like they have like a $10,000 paperweight that's like – that it, it mimics like a a cup, a drinking cup. Oh my god! Like who the fuck is buying that shit? I don't know. I have never been like like swooped in and said buy all this jewelry for yourself. You know that's in my next life. I just don't have a desire. Well, maybe I do in my next life. Next life. In recent years, Alexis, the brand has pulled some pretty cool stunts, all related to its iconic and beloved color, that beautiful shade of Tiffany blue, and one of my favorites was on May 1st, 2018. Did you ever hear about this one? No. Okay. New Yorkers woke up on that day to their beloved city painted Tiffany blue. Oh my God, amazing. I mean, the city's yellow cabs were all transformed to the brand's iconic color. A number of subway stations and pop-up bodegas were like really made over in that same shade. How cool. Branded skateboarders and BMX riders were let loose wearing blue clothes and riding blue bikes and skateboards. Wait, what year was this? 18, 2018. Oh my gosh, how cool. They even branded Metro cards over as Tiffany Blue. Like so your awesome. bus passes or your like How did they passes. paint all the cap? I mean, they wrapped them obviously. I mean, but, like, the picture, I'll share the picture. It's so cool. It's crazy. And this was considered one of the classiest takeovers the city has ever seen. And it was all done to celebrate the brand's chief artistic officer, Reed Krakoff's first jewelry collection. Oh. Like, that's a pretty nice welcome to the company. Like, yeah. we're going to paint. How much did that cost? Wow. <laughs> Probably so Where much Where did money. he come from? 
I don't know. I didn't research that, but Jeez. apparently he was a big deal. This activation like was only brought to life for a few days, but it sparked a whole scavenger hunt on Instagram and frankly had not just the city talking, but like the whole nation was paying yeah. attention because everyone was posting about it, you know, and everyone was talking about Tiffany. So of course the stunt was covered by like every high fashion, like media outlet you could imagine as well. So tons of attention, so smart. They even one time turned the Empire State Building Tiffany Blue for Valentine's Day instead of red one year. Wow. Isn't that cool? That's so cool. I know. So they've done a lot with just activating the color, which I love. Which obviously, because like you said, it's like you recognize it. It's insane. Totally. But in 2021 and even into today, the direction the brand decided to take with its marketing is not just turning heads. It's kind of shocking a lot of people. Okay. So let's talk about it. On April 1st, 2021, the internet was shocked when a social media post from Tiffany & Co. on Instagram announced Tiffany's new house color, Tiffany Yellow. Oh my God, yellow. Right? I know they have the Tiffany Diamond, but like yellow. I mean, I'm looking at this mirror and it just is like… Yellow. Yellow. Yeah. I mean… It's just so opposite of what blue, like the Tiffany blue evokes. I know. It's exactly opposite, actually. It's like literally on the opposite end of the spectrum. I mean, immediately this post racked up like 500,000 likes, a ton of comments and a ton of press mentions, mostly because people like were just couldn't believe it. They were just like in shock. And this was issued on April 1st, which is April Fool's Day. But we quickly found out that it wasn't a joke. (laughs) Isn't that weird? That's crazy. The so-called prank that seemed like a ploy to get some social media attention turned into reality in May of 2021 when Tiffany & Co. temporarily remodeled its Rodeo Drive location in all things yellow. Yellow furniture, yellow fixtures, yellow boxes, yellow bags. There was even a yellow diamond cafe within the store that served up themed treats like lemon soda, honeycomb ice cream, and more. And they even created a temporary collection of yellow diamond jewelry, including the iconic 130-carat Tiffany yellow diamond. Like, it was there at the store. I mean, I think it's cool, but to change, like, an activation, but, like, to change everything to yellow, no. Yeah. And the good news is they haven't changed everything to yellow. Okay, good. Like, it's still unclear where the hell this is going. It may very well be a test. Like, for now, Tiffany Blue still lives, and I really hope it continues because what a, like, that's been around forever. And it's so beautiful, that color. That's yeah. crazy. But I don't know. Yellow may be in the future. And the yellow wasn't the only somewhat shocking change. Okay. Later, that same year, 2021, in the summer, Tiffany & Co.'s social media channels were filled with video and static images of people putting up Not Your Mother's Tiffany posters around L.A., and New York. Okay. What's the first thing you think of when you like picture a poster like on a bus shelter or billboard that says, not your mother's Tiffany? I don't know. It's pretty offensive. Right? Yeah. I mean, Tiffany is your mother's. Like <laughs> that's what the cool thing is. It's like a classic brand. Yeah. And like you want to be like your mom who has is able to afford a Tiffany's anything. Yeah. Well, the images strayed really far from Tiffany's, like, normal image, like, in general. 
you know, these were all white, simple, youthful models wearing like modest jewelry. It was actually kind of anti-luxury. And it seemed to be speaking very clearly to Gen Z. Okay. And the responses from loyal Tiffany customers on social media were instant and they were not happy. They felt dissed, just like you said. They were like, WTF, like I've been a loyal supporter of this brand. Like I grew up wanting it. I'm buying it now. I'm a mom now. And now you're saying like, I'm not welcome here? Yeah, interesting. It's confusing. One Instagram fan said, I guess me, a mother, doesn't need to buy anymore now that it's insulting the generations that brought Tiffany to its height. I agree. Right? I mean, here's the deal. Who's helping them afford their mother's Tiffany? Yeah. Their mother. Exactly. Another said, they no longer want me or anyone over a certain age as their customer. Funny. All the people I know who spend money in shop love my mother's Tiffany. More so than what's currently in the store, I find it odd that Tiffany would want to abandon all their customers over 40. And it astonishes me, after all these years, we have been loyal and sentimental. This is what we get. I know. <gasps> that lady I looks I still pack my, like, earrings in my little Tiffany bags because really? they're so soft. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah, because I have um, – like, Wes has gotten me a couple cool pieces, and he just, for my birthday a couple years ago, he got me all the kids' names or, or like, initials, and they're in diamonds on, like, these gold little plates. It's oh, so cute. It's cute. But I got a different bag for each one, so I always pack, like, all my yeah. stuff. Yeah, I mean, because the bags like, are so adorable. Yeah. I mean, these were pretty big moves for, like, a stable, iconic brand, and they seemed jolting to some. Well, I mean, they must have done a focus group, and – like this new generation must have said something like, I don't want that because it's my mom's. But yeah. again, who has the buying power? The buying power is really the parents still. Yeah, I know. I agree. But I just want to point out one thing. And if you watch social media when this was all happening and you watch the news, people were talking about Tiffany's again. Like whether they were pissed or like they didn't like it or they did like it, like it was it was in the conversation again, and I think it had been stagnant. Even mm-hmm. like some of the stunts that they had been doing were just like, oh, that, like yeah, of course they do that, you know. So I think they yeah. needed something jarring and jolting, and maybe that's where the yellow came from, and that's where this campaign came from. They wanted to evoke these big emotions, you know. But there's a few other things that the brand is doing that is interesting. Okay. So along with you know maybe changing the color, a new campaign. Tiffany & Co. also has hired some new brand ambassadors to play roles in new ad campaigns and commercials. Okay. The brand realized it needed to somehow draw in a new demo. So in May 2018, it announced that actress Elle Fanning would be the face of the brand's campaign that year. And they announced this by having Fanning recreate the ultimate breakfast at Tiffany's moment, but with a modern spin. So I'll show you this video. There's this short film, and we'll definitely put it on the website, where Fanning stands outside Tiffany's iconic Fifth Avenue flagship store with like a to-go coffee, and she's looking at the window display, and suddenly like she's imagining this like very Tiffany blue dream world filled with jewelry and dancing. And there's a remix of the iconic song from the movie uh, Moon River. That's the song that Audrey Hepburn sang like at the store. Yeah. And it plays in the background. And this version features Fanning singing and also has ASAP Ferg's rapping. I don't know who that is. It's like some rapper who's famous. Um, And the cool thing is this collaboration and remix 
was immediately available for download on Spotify and through the Tiffany & Co. website. And it, like, did I'm reach. I'm glad they picked her because Gucci picked Miley Cyrus. Oh, yeah, they and did. And I feel like Miley's so edgy, but Elfin, she's cute. She's more classic. She's more classic. She actually reminds me of Audrey Hepburn. Yeah. Like, in, like, a mousy, like, cute way. Yeah. You know? But she's, like, got that beautiful, like, yes. really pale, angelic skin. Like, yeah. Yeah. I perfect. agree. And the video for this commercial was viewed more than 10 million times on social media and on YouTube. I mean, it did capture attention, you know? Yeah. Then later in 2021, Tiffany and Co. dropped a new campaign featuring Beyonce and Jay-Z. Oh my gosh. I mean, ugh. perfect. And actually, this was the first time the couple appeared in an ad together, like ever. Ever? They probably paid so much money oh to my get them. God. I mean, can you even imagine? Which, they're like they're like the, the biggest most of- iconic couple. Yeah. In, in like today. I mean, millennials are obsessed with Beyonce. So this campaign definitely captured attention. And I'll show you this commercial, Lex. You know, this ad features, you know, a beautiful love story, really. And it it's kind of looks like it's Beyonce and Jay-Z's love story. Beyonce's singing her own cover of Moon River at the piano. She's wearing the iconic Tiffany diamond oh my around her neck. That piece, as you said earlier, has only been worn by four women. Audrey Hepburn, some socialite, uh, Mrs. E. Sheldon Whitehouse. Like, I don't know how she, she got is. it. Yeah. Um, Lady Gaga and Beyonce. Wow. I mean, seriously Wow. But the critics are torn on Tiffany's new ad campaigns. I mean, some feel confused. The brand has multiple campaigns running at one time. Kind of disjointed. Yeah, that's the thing. It's like, where's the connection? Like, it's got a lot going on right now. I mean, I get they're trying to reach every audience, but there's no, like, overarching theme. It's like kind of just they're shooting from the hip, it seems like. I mean, but they have, like, the Not Your Mother's Tiffany. They did the yellow stunt. They also have this, like, love pride campaign with gay couples all in black and white that's super cool, but, like, again, totally disjointed from anything else. Then there's the Carters, like, a more traditional married couple. Like, it just – maybe they're going for diversity, and maybe they're thinking – they're creating a separate campaign for each demo, but it's confusing. Super confusing. Yeah. So I don't know. I mean, personally, I like a change. Like I'm always up for like shock me a little bit, like make me pay attention to you. I've kind of forgotten about you. So yeah. like I like that they're shaking it up, but I think there needs to be some tie-in. Yeah, there needs to be some, some connection. Some theme, some connection, you know? You know, I know. We just did a badass campaign for yeah. um, So – you connected the, all the we dots. connected the dots. You got to connect the dots. But the yellow is a hard pass for me. Hard pass. I can't. I Tiffany blue is too iconic, too staple, too known. Like you I cannot agree. lose that, you know? Yeah, and it like speaks luxury to me versus yellow seems just very, yellow it seems, seems cheaper. childish. Yeah. But Tiffany & Co. spends somewhere in the ballpark of $370 million on marketing every year. Let's get them as a client. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, go ahead and make that phone call, Lex. Okay. (laughs) Reports from early 2022 are saying that Tiffany & Co. is on the upswing from a revenue perspective. It looks like revenue was down in 2020 to like $3.66 billion. 
And that's quite a bit actually down from 2019. It was at 4.44 billion. But the pandemic, I don't think people were really initially buying like luxury jewelry anyways. Um, And I haven't seen the figures for 2021 yet, but LVMH says Tiffany is performing very well. But I don't know. The jury's out. What do you think, Lex? Can this brand that's so iconic make these huge detours and succeed to dominate future generations? Like, I don't know. I'm curious to see. Yeah. I mean, personally, again, I just, I feel like it's disjointed and I'm not a fan of the yellow, but you know, like I said, and then this guy that's 29, I mean, LV, for that many people to have a line around the store. And I'm telling you these, it was like 15 to 18. I know. I'm like, how? So you think he'll do it for Tiffany's too? I mean, he's done it for a couple other brands. It'll be impre- it'll be cool to see if they can k- get the young kids and keep the older generations interested. I will be blown away. Blown away. Okay, cool. Let me just share a few of my sources. Um, Today.com had a really good article about Tiffany ditching their iconic blue new look and featuring a bold new campaign. Business Insider had a great just roundup of Tiffany & Co.'s history as this iconic luxury brand and also how they invented the modern diamond engagement ring. Um, The New York Times had a really good piece from 2019 about just the history of Tiffany's. And Adweek had a really great roundup of this like new Tiffany campaign with Beyonce and Jay-Z. So I will link all those sources on the website. Awesome. And please, please, please leave us a five-star review on wherever you listen to your podcasts and follow us on Instagram. Give us some feedback. Tell us what you want to want us to cover. Yeah, do it. All right. Have a good day. Have a good day. Bye. Bye.